Pete McMurray in the Skyline Studios. I'm so grateful that our senator, one of the most powerful men in Washington, takes time to come on with me and talk. Let's welcome in Senator Dick Durbin. Senator, thank you for your time today. How you doing, Pete? Uh, give me your initial thoughts when you saw the riots and looting here in Chicago and D.C. and all over the United States. I was a kid in law school when the riots hit Washington, D.C. after Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination. Uh, it was unreal. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. What I remember is that 10 and 20 years later, some of those burned out stores were still gone. Nothing had filled those vacant lots. It took that long to get back in business. I worry about the same phenomena now. Some of the areas that have very few retail services, food services and the like, uh, have been hit hard in our city. And I worry about rebuilding. I talked to some of the aldermen who, Alderman Leslie Harrison, for example, she worked for years to bring in a grocery store. When she heard that they were busting in the stores and, and burning them down, she like stood guard personally in front of this store. She knew what it meant to the people in the neighborhood. We're going to have to ask these questions uh, block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood, how we're going to put back the services that keep people together, keep families going. How do we do that? Do we do we send those communities money? How do we build rebuild those communities? Good question. And it's going to take uh, all hands on deck, you know, federal, state and local uh, coming together. Uh, and we want to sit down first with the people who occupy them. I've talked to some of the businesses, I won't name names, who lost them some major establishments during the course of this. And, and they're assessing what's next. What do we do next? Do we rebuild? How do we rebuild? Where do we rebuild? What's the right investment? You know, we could be in that conversation, all of us in government, do what we can to help the financing lay the groundwork to put these uh, operations back together. There are just so many people who are struggling to get to survive Right. before this happened. Yeah, it's rough stuff. Senator, you spoke on the Senate floor about the uh, death of George Floyd, the anger and the pain that has been expressed all over the United States. And you said that America needs to address racial injustice. Can you expand on that? Well, I think it's obvious. I mean, how can you watch that video? Eight minutes, 46 seconds. How can you watch that video and not feel it? How can you see the look in that officer's eyes when people around him are pleading with him for that man's life and he just continues to put his knee on his neck and not leave there saying, this is just plain wrong. This was not a matter of self-defense. There was no excuse. The charges against him are as serious as they come. But it raises a question. You know, this is an isolated incident. It's an example of, unfortunately, racism and prejudice that took over when good policing should have taken over. Now, let me just say at the outset, I believe the vast majority of people in law enforcement are good professional men and women who risk their lives every day to put that badge on to protect me and my family. I get that. But in their ranks, just like the ranks of almost any other profession, there are people who shouldn't be there. There are those who are there for the wrong reasons. There are those who have a record that really should disqualify them from continued service. Let's get real. For the good cops, and they're darn uh, large number, as far as I'm concerned, very large number, for their sake and for the sake of everybody who has to depend on them at one point in their life, let's get this right. All right. There's bad people in every profession. There's bad cops there. How do we find those bad cops? Is it reform? Where Where do we start? You start with recruiting. You know, who do you bring into this? This is not a, a, an easy job. It is a hard job. Think of all the things that you have to be to be a good policeman. You know, in terms of the psychologist, a person who understands the law, a person who can control their own emotions, even when somebody's going off right in your face. 
you know, these sorts of things, you got to recruit the class of people who can take on this responsibility with a gun on their hip that could be life or death for the person standing in front of them. That's the starting point. Second, the training. You know, the training has to ask some really important questions about values and who you are and what you do under stress. Uh, And then once they're in, to make sure, just like in every profession, there's a period of evaluation. You come back and you say, let's do a refresher course on this, whatever it happens to be. Right. Uh, Awareness of where you are and moving forward from there. I think it's one of the most important jobs in America. It's one we know every day we count on, and we can see when the wrong people put the badge on how terrible things can happen. We're talking with Senator Dick Durbin. Uh, Did you happen to see your colleague, Cory Booker, Senator Booker, on with uh, Colbert on uh, Thursday night? I did not. I missed it. I'm, I'm sorry I did, because Corey is quite a guy. Wow. Powerful stories about growing up, the situations with police. And then he talked about how he wanted to leave his office, and he was going to put on shorts and a T-shirt, and he thought twice, I'm going to leave my suit on. I mean, what do, you, what do your colleagues say, like Senator Booker? Well, you know, it's interesting. To be, just to give you an idea, I, I've got 15, 20 African-Americans on my staff, and I got on a conference call with them the other day. And we just went on for about an hour. And I, t- I said, tell me what the conversation was like when you were first told, you know, here's the reality of being black in America and what you need to be careful of as a young boy, a young girl uh, growing up here. And I want to tell you, after a few minutes, they opened up. And for a white guy who never, ever faced that concern one time in his life, yeah. it was an eye opener to think about that. You know, one of the young women said, mom always told me, when you buy something, you ask for a receipt and you put Put it in the bag so that when you're challenged as to whether you stole it, you've got the receipt with you. Never leave without a receipt. I thought to myself, my mom never said that. Never. Uh, I never, I never, never thought of anything like that. And things just like that, you know, and being pulled over for speeding, embarrassing to me, but, you know, even scarier for someone who's African-American and worries about what's going to happen next. So, you know, for a minute, let's empathize. Let's get in their shoes for a minute and understand what in the heck they've faced in their lives that in a country that we profess to have justice for all should never occur. Do you think it's going to be different this time with George Floyd's death and why it will it be different this time? You know, I, I, I've held back every time I, I, I think to myself, this is a game changer. I can't bring those words out in public and say them. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm holding back more than I should. But there are so many encouraging things here. The fact that this is so widespread, almost in every state of the nation, uh, and, and, and the demonstrations, aside from some real heartbreaking disappointments of looting and vandalism, by and large, it, just massive numbers of people who are coming out, black, white, and brown, and standing together for this cause. I, I talked to a friend of mine uh, I've known for years, and I asked her, African-American woman, a good friend, I said, is this one different? She said, this is different, different than anything I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's got the chance of really coming, bringing this nation forward. We've been fighting this battle as a, as a people for 400 years with slavery and with racism. And if we can make some progress, for goodness sakes, George Floyd will not have died in vain. Right. It seems different this time, doesn't it? It does. It does. I, You know, in Springfield here, uh, Kids, high school kids, had 1,500 students out last Tuesday next to the state capitol. There weren't any broken windows. They were kids who were speaking out for Black Lives Matter. And I met with them since, and they said, these demonstrations are good, but that's not enough. We've got to do more. We're going to reach out to other kids in other high schools and see if they feel the same way. That's the beginning of community dialogue, neighborhood dialogue. That's the beginning of moving forward.
Right. It starts in the community and then the aldermen and then the mayor and then the governor. And you're the senator. What's going to happen in Washington? I'm not sure. With this president, how could I be? I mean, I, I just when he got up and said this is a great day for for George, I thought, goodness sakes, you know, this man gave his life and it wasn't so the president could report some economic numbers. I mean, it, it is tragic what happened to that man. And, and what we need is unity in this country. We need empathy for one another's plight. And we need a determination, darn it, in this moment in time to move us forward. And I hope we'll have it. Um, I wanted to ask you about the unemployment numbers. What are your thoughts? Well, I think, I'll be honest with you, I think we made a massive investment, $3 trillion, in unemployment compensation and, and getting forgivable loans to small businesses, and it paid off. We see now, as the economy starts to open with COVID-19, uh, a better employment number yesterday than we ever anticipated. And I'm glad for it. I'm glad for the good news. We needed some, didn't we? And, and, and the point is, we're not out of the woods. We've still got some 40 million unemployed Americans. Uh, the unemployment benefits that we put together run out July 31st. We have to extend them in some way, shape, or form. We've got to come out of this recession moving forward in a positive way as we started this week. We can't fall backwards, whether it's because of COVID-19 or giving up on putting money back in the economy. Uh, I'm just determined that we come out of this uh, charging hard and and put this economy back on its feet. Well, Senator, I'd like to see, I I, I liked the bipartisan bill extending the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. Yeah. Yeah. And let me tell you what, that's been bipartisan start to finish. Marco Rubio, Republican Florida. Right. Ben Cardin, Democrat Maryland. And it went quick. It went quickly through. Well, because it, it works. It absolutely works. And when the businesses, restaurants, and others came to us and said, eight weeks isn't enough. By eight weeks, we're not even, they don't have the doors open. Give us a longer period. We give 24 weeks. Right. So I, I know these businesses, when they open the door now, are going to have a helping hand, and they will need it uh, to make sure they can open up successfully. But that is the key to getting this economy back on track and people back to work. I want to ask you two more things before you go, Senator. Number one, I wanted to ask you about sports. We're seeing the major sports coming back right now, except baseball. Here are multi multi millionaires, and you have these billionaire owners that are fighting over eleven million dollars per team in Major League Baseball. It's, you know, it's I just ridiculous. Gotta be very- Got to be very blunt with you. For the good of the game, they ought to step up and solve this problem. Solve it. What it would mean, what it would mean to this country, and I'm sports starved, and I, you know, we all are. A summer, a summer day without baseball this doesn't seem right. But you know, this is a moment when when the leadership of the players stands up and says, "It isn't all about money. It's all about the fact that we're part of America's pastime, and we can help this country change its mood and move forward. Put a smile on their face, hear the crack of the bat." I mean, all of that means a lot to me personally. I think it means a lot to your listeners. Yes, they're fighting over peanuts. I just don't understand it. I don't either. I don't get it. (laughs) And the last thing, I keep forgetting to ask you every time I have you on the show, my cousin Ray LaHood is now in charge of the Lincoln Museum and Library in Springfield. You spoke to the governor and you recommended Ray to bring this back to life. How is that going? I haven't spoke to uh, Ray in a while and, and thank you for recommending him. Let me tell you, Bray and I are close friends. Party differences don't mean a darn thing between us. And when it came to the bicentennial Lincoln's birth, he and I co-chaired 
National Commission on Ed. So we've worked on Lincoln. I know what he what he thinks uh, about Lincoln's legacy and preserving it. I had a hand in getting this little Lincoln Presidential Library moving forward 25 years ago. Uh, but I will tell you, Ray is the right person. Governor Pritzker made the right choice. Uh, party notwithstanding, he is the right man for the job. And I, I, I think uh, we've got to honor that president, but we also have to make sure that the next generation understands what he meant to America. Absolutely. Senator Durbin, thank you for your time. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Pete. You too. All right. Uh, the best. One of the most powerful men in Washington and comes on our show. I just love it. All right. Quick break. More of the show next at 720 WGN.